0: When something bad happens to someone else, there is a kind of natural reaction to ask whether the victim was uh, in some way to blame for what happened. After Hurricane Katrina devastated New Orleans, people were asking, well, you know, the people went to live in a place below sea level that always has hurricanes. I mean, aren't they responsible for what happened to them? Or maybe someone dies of a heart attack. We might say, well, yeah, but of course they smoked, they had poor diet, they didn't exercise. They kind, of, they kind of deserve what happened to them. Maybe someone gets a divorce and we think of mistakes that they made in the relationship that led to the divorce. And I think part of the reason that we do this is to assure ourselves that something similar won't happen to me Because I'm not as bad or foolish or careless as that other person. And Jesus rejects that way of thinking. So they bring to Jesus the news of the day. A great tragedy. Pilate had executed some Galileans. And to make matters worse. He sort of defiled uh, their bodies by mixing their blood in with that of pagan sacrifices. And... The people who are, and the way Jesus responds indicates that he knew their assumption, right? That, that these people were, they must have been terrible sinners, right? If they died that way. That's what they were thinking. That they had it coming. And what Jesus says in response to that, and then he also cites people who died in an accident, a collapsing of a tower. The, what he says then is to tell us that that when something bad happens, some tragedy like this, rather than thinking about whether those people deserved it, it should make us think about our own need to repent. For if we don't repent, we will perish as they did. Not necessarily in that exact manner, but again, if we, if we are unrepentant, hard-hearted unto eternity, we will suffer greatly. And St. Paul makes a similar point in the second reading. He is reminding the Corinthians about the story of the Israelites during their wanderings in the desert. And, you know, they, uh, they were really uh, uh, in, ungrateful. They were very sinful during their time in the desert, right? And so God punished them and disciplined them, in fact, struck many of them dead, like, for example, when he sent the poisonous snakes. And Paul's saying that that has been recorded for us to learn, for us to be warned. And he summarizes the lesson when he writes, Therefore, whoever thinks he is standing secure should take care not to fall. So rather, our thinking should be when we hear something about another person is to say, There but for the grace of God go I. But there's also more because then Jesus tells a story about this fig tree and the owner has gone for three years and there's no figs. It is a fruitless tree. It's just taking up soil. He wants to cut it down. But there's this gardener who says, Wait a second. Let me, I'm going to care for this tree. I'm going to cultivate it. I'm going to fertilize it. Okay? And if after everything I do is done, it still doesn't bear fruit, then go ahead and cut it down. So in this parable, the owner is God the Father. And God the Father, who is uh, you know, lavished his people with truth and grace and still not bearing fruit, right? Rightfully says that's it for them. But then you have the gardener is Jesus. And remember when Jesus after the resurrection, when Mary Magdalene saw him, what, who did she think he was? She said he, he thought he was a gardener. Gardening is a very important profession, by the way. What is Adam? What's the first job in the world? It is to take care of the garden. To cultivate it and care for it. And so Jesus then is the one who takes what has been fruitless and he cultivates and he cares for it. This is what he does throughout his public ministry. He is in his preaching in his healings and his exorcisms. He is preparing a people to bear fruit, to live fully. And indeed, After his death and resurrection, he sends the Holy Spirit. He sends God's fire upon the people and they begin to bear fruit. So the parable indicates then the patience and the mercy of God. God who wants us to bear fruit, to live life fully. Now in our first reading, we encounter another plant, a tree, a bush. And this bush is on fire, but the fire is not consuming it. And this is something that attracts the attention of Moses. It is something supernatural. Moses, remember, was in a kind of exile after he had killed someone in Egypt. He's aimless. He doesn't know what his life's about. What is he supposed to do? And it is then that God manifests himself in this very special way. So the first thing is that God gets Moses' attention with the burning bush. And any of you who have lived in San Diego for, uh, for more than 10, 15 years, you know something about burning bushes, <laughs> right? And, um, and you know that fire consumes them, fire destroys them, fire turns them into ashes. But here we have a fire that does not do that. And I think there's something about God is fire and and that we are afraid to surrender ourselves completely to God because we think that if we do so, somehow we will be consumed. So if we give of ourselves to God, if we, if we do whatever it is that God asks, we think either our freedom will be, will be taken away, will be dominated by God, we won't have true freedom. We, we think somehow we'll be diminished or worse off. And so God is kind of, there's this kind of... Um, one or the other thing, right? If To give God his due means that there's less, less for us. The uh, father of modern atheism was a philosopher named Ludwig Feuerbach, and this is what he believed. Now, he didn't believe God existed, but he believed even the idea of God diminished man. He said that if you um, say, say yes to man, you have to say no to God. Again, this sees God as a rival to man. But this fundamentally misunderstands what God is and who God is. And that's where the conversation then that God has with Moses is very important. Now, the first thing God reveals about who he is is he's a God who loves who loves his people. So he tells Moses, I am aware of your suffering and I'm gonna do something about it and I'm gonna set them free, okay? But then Moses wants to know God's name and God gives this mysterious response. I am who am, in Hebrew Yahweh, I am who am. Now, in some ways it's kind of like God saying, I know you're not gonna know my name, but but as the church has reflected over the years, especially Thomas Aquinas, he says that when God says that, God is saying, I am not merely a super powerful being like other beings. But I am the act of being itself. I am existence itself. From which everything else that exists. Comes into existence. And so St. Paul when he's at the Areopagus. And talking to the Greeks who are polytheists. Um, he explains the one true God. And he says in him we live. And move and have our being. And so it's kind of this idea then that God, being closer to God, following God, obeying God, never reduces us. It only actually makes us more alive. So you heard in the, in the uh, first reading it happened on Mount Horeb, which is also called Mount Sinai. It's a place in Egypt. And to this day, there is a monastery called St. Catherine's, which is said to be built on the very spot of the burning bush. In fact, there is a bush there that they say is the original burning bush. I don't know if that's true or not, right? If be very old, but it's possible. But anyways, um, uh, the monks there, among the things they've done over the centuries is to create icons, these works of religious art. And I've never been to Egypt, I've never been to St. Catherine's Monastery, but back in 2006, there was a display of those icons from the monastery in Los Angeles at the Getty Museum. And the Getty Museum itself is very beautiful, right? So I got a chance to go and I remember being in line to get into the display and there was a man next to me and we were talking and he, he said, you know, he said, I've been to Egypt, I've been to St. Catherine's Monastery. And I said, well, you've already been there and, and, and you've seen these, why are you coming to this exhibit? He said, actually, I was there and there's many icons they wouldn't let us see that are on display here in Los Angeles. So I thought it's very special, you know, I didn't have to fly over to Egypt and I got to see more than most people see when they visit the monastery. So there's a particular theme in the artwork there, the icons, which is showing the burning bush, but it's showing Mary. Mary and the burning bush are one. So Mary is aflame with the fire of God. And she's of course not being consumed or destroyed, but she's radiating this life of God. Indeed, when the fire of the Holy Spirit comes upon her, she conceives Christ in her womb. God desires to envelop us totally in the fire of his love and to accept this invitation is to become like the burning bush and like the Virgin Mary, to radiate the glory of God. St. Irenaeus said that the glory of God is the living man, and the life of man is the vision of God. Sometimes in job interviews, they try to ask kind of weird, off the wall questions and, and see how the person responds. And I remember I read this list one time of possible questions. One of them was if you were a tree, what kind of tree would you be? Well, the word of God poses this question to us today. Which tree will you be? The barren fig or the burning bush?